Last lecture, we looked at the theories of Max Weber, who examined the new forms of organizations being developed for managing large numbers of individuals in complex activities. We discussed that Weber concluded that a new large-scale organization had a similar pattern, that of the bureaucracy. For Weber, the bureaucratic organization was an attempt to subdue human affairs to the rule of reason. That is, to make the conduct of the business of the organization according to calculable rules. In this lecture, we turn our attention to scientific management and the work of Frederick Taylor in this regard. Frederick Taylor formalized the principles of scientific management, and the fact-finding approach put forward and largely adopted was a replacement for what had been the old rule of thumb. He developed a theory of organizations which altered the personalized autocracy, which had only been tempered by varying degrees of benevolence. We, knew, we must know that Taylor was not the originator of many of his ideas. He was a pragmatist, though, and, and he had this sort of ability to synthesize the work of others and promote them effectively to a ready and eager audience of managers. At the time of Taylor's work, a typical manager would have very little contact with the activities of the, of the factory. Generally speaking, a foreman would be given total responsibility for producing goods demanded by the salesmen. Under these conditions, workmen used what tools they had or could get and adopted methods that suited their own style of work. By 1881, Taylor had to publish a paper that would revolutionize the sort of ways in which we understand organizations. He followed this up in 1895 with other papers looking at incentive schemes um, and how to actually have a more effective management style. His sort of major work, however, was in 1909, where he published the book, The Principles of Scientific Management, which we'll turn our attention to in a minute. A main feature of, of, of Taylor's work was the sort of stopwatch timing as a basis of observations. Unlike earlier theorists, he started to break down the timings into elements, into separate elements, in which he coined the term time study. Taylor's uncompromising attitude in developing and instill, installing his ideas caused him much criticism. Scientific, the scientific method he advocated would be applied to all problems and applied just as much to managers as to workers. In his own words, he explained, the old-fashioned director does not exist under scientific management. The man at the head of the business under scientific management is governed by rules and laws, which has been developed through hundreds of experiments, just as much as the workman is, and the standards developed are equitable. Taylor starts his treatise on the scientific management principles by quoting the then President of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt. The president, in his address to the governors of the White House, prophetically remarked that the conservation of our national resources is only preliminary to the larger question of national efficiency. Taylor pointed out that the whole nation is suffering through inefficiencies in almost all daily acts of Americans. He pointed this out through a series of simple illustrations. He tried to convince the reader that the remedy for this inefficiency lies in systemic management, rather than in searching for extraordinary people. 
He also tried to prove that the best management is achieved through science and rests upon a foundation of clearly defined rules and principles. He also illustrated that the fundamental principles of scientific management are applicable to all kinds of human activities, from simple individual acts to the work of large organizations such as government. He also attempted to convince readers that when these principles are correctly applied, astounding results are achieved. He attempted to show that his principles can be applied to the management of any sort of enterprise and organizations, such as homes, farms, churches, institutions, universities, and government agencies. In particular, Taylor argued that the principal object of management should be to secure the maximum prosperity of the employer, coupled with the maximum prosperity of each employee. He also showed that the maximum prosperity can exist only as the result of maximum productivity. He argued that the most important object of both the employee and the management should be the training and development of each individual in the establishment. For Taylor, there are three reasons for inefficiencies in organizations. First, there is this sort of deceptive belief that a material increase in the output of each individual or each machine will throw people out of work. Second reason he suggested was there's defective management systems, which made it necessary for each individual to work slowly to protect his or her best interests. Finally, Taylor suggested that there's an inefficient rule of thumb methods which were almost universal in all trades, which cost much wasted effort. He attempted to show that there would be enormous gains would result from substituting scientific methods for rule of thumb. Taylor's scientific management consisted of four principles. The first is the development of a science for, for each element of an individual's work to replace the old rule of thumb methods. The second principle is the scientific selection, training, and development of workers instead of allowing them to choose their own task and train themselves as best they could. The third principle is the development of a spirit of a hearty cooperation between workers and management to ensure that work can be carried out in accordance with scientifically devised procedures. Finally, the fourth principle is the division of work between workers and, and the management in almost equal shares, whereby each group takes over the work for which it is best fitted instead of the former condition in which responsibility largely rested with the workers. Self-evident in this sort of philosophy is the idea that organizations are arranged in a hierarchy, systems of abstract rules and impersonal relationships between staff. According to Taylor, the combination of the initiative of the employee, coupled with the new types of work done by the management, makes scientific management much more efficient in the old ways. Now, when you look at the old sort of style of management, the sort of initiative and incentive sort of idea, the first three elements of Taylor's principles exist in many cases, but their importance is minor. Under scientific management, they form the very essence of the whole system. Moreover, when we look at the fourth element, this idea of the division of worker between workers and the management in almost equal shares, Taylor writes, under the management of initiative and incentive, practically the whole problem 
is up to the workman, while under scientific management, fully one half of the problem is up to the management. Taylor's framework for an organization can therefore be characterized as follows. First, there's a sort of a clear delineation of authority and a set responsibility. There's a separation of planning from operations. There's an incentive scheme for workers. And finally, there's a task specialization. However, there were problems as Taylor's sort of principles were not always well received. As many of his ideas were associated with bad practice, notably rate cutting by unscrupulous managers. In 1911 and 1912, Taylor was questioned at length by a special committee of the U.S. House of Representatives. As a result, laws were passed banning the use of stopwatches by civil servants, and it was only in 1949 that this restriction was lifted. Nevertheless, Taylor's views of the motivation of workers has had a profound influence throughout the century and into the 21st century as well. His belief that individuals were rational and they would make economic choices based on the degree of monetary reward led him to devise payment systems that closely related the kind of effort he sought with the level of reward offered. Not surprisingly, there were strong criticism of his theory that treated human beings like machines and assumed that workers were satisfied by money alone. His views on motivation, management, and organization all presuppose certain conditions to be constant, which we know now are, is not necessarily the case. The assumptions underlying his work were as follows. He assumed that there's the presence of a capitalist society uh, and a money economy where, where organizations in a free market have their main objective um, being the improvement of efficiency and the maximization of profit. Another assumption was the existence of the Protestant work ethic, which assumes individuals will work hard and behave rationally to maximize their own income, putting the perceived requirements of their organization before their own personal objectives and goals. Another assumption in his, in his sort of principles is the idea that an increased size is desirable in order to obtain the advantages of the division of labor and specialization of tasks. We can of course suggest that Taylor's impact has been so great since he developed a concept of work design, work measurement, production control, and other functions that completely changed the way we view organizations. Before scientific management, such departments such as work study, personnel, maintenance, and quality control did not exist. What was more, his methods did prove to be very successful. Taylor's methods began from his observation that, in general, workers forced to perform repetitive tasks work at the slowest rate that goes unpunished. This slow rate of work, which he calls soldiering, he believed was based on the observation that when paid the same amount, workers will tend to do the amount of work the slowest among them does. This reflects the idea that workers have a vested interest in their own well-being and do not benefit from working above the defined rate of work when it will not increase their compensation. He therefore proposed that the work practice that he had developed in most work environments was crafted intentionally or unintentionally to be very inefficient in its execution. From this, he posited that, there, that one of the best methods for performing a particular task, and that if it was taught to the worker, uh, their productivity will actually increase. 
When we look at the critiques for the scientific management, what we see is that the application of scientific management sometimes fails to account a few difficulties. Foremost is the idea that individuals may be motivated by different attributes. Um, they may, in many respects, find that the most efficient way of working for one individual may be inefficient for another individual. Um, a third sort of idea is that the economic interests of workers and management are rarely identical, so that both the measurement process and the retraining required by Taylor's methods are frequently resented, and sometimes, in fact, they are sabotaged by the workforce. These difficulties, mind you, were recognized by Taylor, but are generally not fully addressed by managers who only see the potential improvements to efficiency. Taylor truly believe that scientific management cannot work unless the workers benefit. In his view, management should arrange the work in such a way that one is able to produce more and get paid more by teaching and implementing more efficient procedures for producing a product or, or for working within an organization in a much more efficient fashion. Some would say that his approach ignores the complications introduced because workers are necessarily human. They have personal needs, interpersonal difficulties, and the very real difficulties introduced by making jobs so efficient that workers have no time to relax. As a result, workers worked harder, but they became dissatisfied with the work environment. Some have argued that discounting workers' personalities led to the rise of labor unions. Scientific management was an early attempt to systematically treat management and process improvements as a scientific problem. With the advancement of statistical methods, the approach was improved and it began to be better understood how to refine it to the worker. Many of the practical problems caused by Taylorism led to its replacement by the human relations school. This is a topic we will turn to in the next lecture.